powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program where we still get snow in April. Today on the program, my guest is Tim Cosby. He helps companies build collaborative company cultures that engage employees and reduce turnover. Looking forward to that conversation today. And I'll be showcasing four ways C and D level employees try to control you. It's all coming up in the leadership and business lesson a little later on in the program. It's all today on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Because adventure still needs chasing, we gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love, it's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, and I'm excited to welcome my special guest today, Tim Cosby. He's the president and CEO of Real Retention, a training and consulting firm that works with leaders to help them retain their best people and create a culture of development. Tim and his team work with CEOs and HR executives who are afraid of losing key talent, and they want higher employee engagement, and they also want to transform their culture in a way that results in higher retention, productivity, and employee satisfaction. For over 10 years, Tim and his team have helped managers and leaders implement the conversational management framework, which provides a new methodology for developing next-generation leaders 24-7. It also helps managers move from boss to coach and create collaborative and empowering environments. When these new processes and styles of communication are implemented, employers see a greater level of employee engagement, trust, ownership, and thus retention 
because people feel heard, valued, and more fulfilled in their work. Real Retention's premier program, Conversational Management, is the catalyst that facilitates that whole change through what becomes a new operating system for how coworkers communicate and collaborate. Beyond long-term and sustained employee retention and productivity, this has immediate and demonstrable ROI potential in the organization. And Tim Cosby, thank you so much for joining us today on Better Than Before. It's my privilege, Tony, and uh, thank you for your audience, your Better Than Before audience. I look forward to this conversation today. Thanks. Yeah, man, I appreciate you making time to be here. I know you're a busy guy. You're doing a lot of great things for a lot of companies um, all around. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. What caused you to want to do this kind of work? Well, that's an interesting question. I think I've always wanted to help people grow, want to see people flourish. I've been developing leaders my whole life. And um, I think once I started a, a coaching business about 11 years ago and started coaching uh, executives, I started to get a kind of an inside look at what's going on in a lot of companies. And I just thought, you know, there's some, there's some things here that I think we could impact. And so we started kind of moving in that direction and as real retention and conversational management and uh, really kind of opened up a lot of doors for us. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So I want to tell you about this conversation that I had the other day. I, I had a client call up and he asked me to meet him for lunch and we didn't really have really any kind of real agenda. We're just sitting there talking, but then we got about 10 or 15 minutes left in the lunch and he goes, Hey, before you go, I want to ask you something, which sounds like he's going to hit me with a real simple question. Right. But he says, um, we're having all this problem with turnover in this particular department. And is there a way to create a culture where no one wants to leave? And I said, you know, I'm not sure that such a thing exists, uh, but I know turnover reduction is a big part of what you do. Let me ask you this. What are you seeing out there as the reasons why companies are turning people over? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. That was a really good, good question. Um, when we started out, we did a, a lot of research about what was causing a voluntary turnover. Cause I think, you know, turnover, you probably should have some turnover, but there, uh, some companies that we were working with had like 140% turnover, voluntary turnover, which I just thought that's unsustainable or you're making, you must be printing money or something. Um, so as we were doing our research, we realized that turnover was a, of course, a symptom. And we just said, well, you know, where's all of that coming from? And so as we dug down, we realized that voluntary turnover was a symptom of disengagement. So employees are just disengaged. And when they get really disengaged, and eventually they're going to leave. And um, we kind of went down further than that. And we said, well, what's the, what's the kind of the cause or underneath um, this disengagement piece. And what we discovered was that it was management practices. In other words, the things that managers should be doing every day to engage employees, if they're not doing that, then management practices and, and organizational culture, let's say, 
um, really contribute to to the tremendous turnover. So a, a short answer to your question is uh, the biggest cause is just disengaged employees. So let me drill down on that a little bit. Give me an example of something management would do that would communicate to the employees to not be engaged. We identified 15 core management practices that managers need to be doing on a regular basis if they want to engage employees. So for example, every day I make sure that my employees know what I expect from them. And this probably comes as no surprise to you because you, you interact with these leaders, but the biggest thing that employees identify in terms of why they're disengaged is that they don't know what their managers expect from them. Mm. And, and so as I talk to managers about that, uh, usually the first response is they just kind of roll their eyes at me like, well, duh, like, of course, how could they not know what I expect of them? But as we drill down, we realize that they really didn't take time um, to specifically talk to their employees about, here's what I expect of you today. And on this project right here, this is what I expect, mm, right? right. Um, and when they do that, then once the employee has clarity on that, then God, they're just going to do their job better. So what I would call that, just in my terms, would be there's no clarity of accountability. Sure. Right. There's no there's no real clear expectation for that employee. So like in simple agri farm terms, if your job is to pick oranges, I need a basket of oranges from you at the end of every day. Right. So yeah. the, the person picking oranges knows exactly what the expectation is. That, that's what you mean? Yeah, exactly. And you would think that that would be kind of a no-brainer. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but, I wouldn't. But, yeah, okay, you wouldn't because you know, right? But, yeah, we, we found the same thing. Um, so once, you know, once managers start doing that, their employees just become um, happier, more content. They're clearer and, uh, you know, they do better work. Yeah, I no, I wouldn't be surprised because I was hosting uh, some CEO roundtables, uh, much like this conversation you and I are having. We're doing it online, and we're going down. What's your top ten issues and problems? And across the board, it, it was in the top five of the top ten was a culture of accountability. You know, where I can't seem to get that established, and I'm I'm like, well, I I hate to tell you, but it's your fault. You know <laughs> that you can't get it established because. The, the people that you that are working under your management don't know, right? Exactly right. what you're saying. Yeah. So we, we just say, you know, if, as a manager, if you're having problems with your employees, that's your problem. Yes. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Which they don't like to hear so much. No, no. But, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the risk of insult is the price of clarity sometimes. Yeah. Um, so... Tell me a little bit about the culture that you work with your clients on. So give me some high points. What does that culture include? What are some of the hallmarks of a culture that you would be trying to establish with a client? Um, things like um, productive teamwork and collaboration. Uh, collaboration just gets thrown around and 
people think they know how to collaborate. Mm -hmm. I read somebody the other day, and I wish I could quote who this was, but I thought it was it was really funny. They said that there's not much collaboration happening in companies, but there's a lot of collaboration. And so one guy clobbers the other and the other guy clobbers the other. And that's yeah. collaboration, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, well, they, you know, they like to think that it just happens organically. Yeah, exactly. Which you and I know it doesn't, um, you know, a culture where management openly communicates, there's transparency, um, where performance excellence is valued throughout the organization by, by everyone. And we talked about that disengagement piece. Uh, you know, Gallup says that about 65 to 70% of employees are disengaged. And 65% of managers are disengaged. So you put those two together and you just go, wow, we, we've really got a problem here. So making sure that managers and employees um, really value performance excellence. Um, things like uh, trust and follow through, uh, relationship building, work-life balance, product and service quality, fair treatment. You know, those, those are the kinds of things that are the results of, of what we do. We don't necessarily work directly on culture because culture is a result of what you're doing, right? Right. Which, which you know. So we focus on how managers are managing and developing people. Um, and then some of the specific practices that they need to be doing on a regular basis. And if they start doing those two things, then we see, you know, really, really good results in terms of retention. Do you find that clients, um, they think things are going to happen way faster than they actually do? Like, for example, I, you know, I can just imagine a an executive or a member or two of the executive team saying, well, we've been transparent for three months now. It doesn't seem like they're buying into it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd want to talk to some of the employees too and right. say, you know, tell me about what's going on with this, you know, but yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd be the first to say that I'm guilty of it as a business owner. Things never go as fast as I want them to go. Yeah. So, I, I think companies uh, tend to be the same way, although, and maybe you found this, uh, but I found that really mature leaders that really understand how to develop people and treat people like humans, you know, treat people well, hmm. um, I think they have a better understanding that this is kind of, this is a journey. This is going to take some time, right? This does not happen overnight. Right, right. So... I know a big piece of what you do with companies too, and you said you know you've been developing talent for a long time, uh, so development of people is a big deal. Tell me a little bit about how you encourage your clients to go about the development part of the employee. Well, um, I think that everyone realizes that talent has to be developed, and especially next generation leaders have to be developed. I think that's pretty well understood. What we're finding is the is the the problem is that how do you develop them? So our whole program focuses on the how, not the what or even the outcomes, but how do you do this? I see. 
And, and so we use, we started out as a, a coaching training company. So we train professional coaches and we took the coaching methodology and put it into the context of management. And we just said, you know what, if managers would use this coaching approach with their employees and ask questions instead of telling them all the time and listen better, right, um, that uh, they're going to get better outcomes through that. So if you really want to develop, especially if you want to develop next generation leaders, um, you are going to have to learn how to listen to them. You're going to have to learn how to ask them good open-ended questions. You're going to have to build a relationship with them. And you can't just do this at the annual review, right? Mm, Which right. hopefully I hope that's going to become a dinosaur here pretty soon. But um, so, so those are, I think, the, the key things that we point out in terms of, of developing leaders. Well, the annual review is really a three-month review because there's really no way they can remember everything that's happened in 12 months or or have an accurate picture of 12 months. It's just too long of a period. And I've, I've told a lot of my clients, I'm like, you have probably no idea of what it's like to be a fairly talented person who has a lot of potential and not to have it developed. That's a very frustrated person. Uh, I don't know. Some people would would disagree with me on this, but I think it's easier to raise your own leaders than it is to go out and recruit them. I think I think I would rather have most of my leaders coming from already on the inside of my organization. I understand the benefits of bringing in people who have wide and varied experience from other places, but that's maybe only twenty percent, and that's maybe only like one or two of the top positions, but I, I kind of feel like most of it should be grown, homegrown. Uh, and it sounds like that's what you're helping people do. Well, yeah. And, and you also know that it costs about 80% less to develop the people you have than to go out and get new people. Right. Sure. So, so and it's yeah, a, it's we're, a good, we're finding... it's a good recruiting tool too. Right. If people, well, sure. know, people know that, hey, it, not only am I going to have a good job, not only do they have good benefits, not only am I going to have competitive pay, but they're going to actually train and help me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we're just kind of coming around to, in fact, I'm, I'm doing a program for HR.com next week, and we're focusing on this in terms of developing next generation leaders, because there's been such dramatic changes in the workplace um, and dramatic changes. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got six generations on the work floor now. So when you and I first started out working, it wasn't quite like that, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's a real challenge for organizations to kind of um, work with six generations at one time. But with, with all of the changes going on in the workplace and with employees, we're finding that the development of leaders, the way we used to do it, which was pretty much event-based development, mm -hmm. um, if that doesn't change, we're not going to reach the next generations. In other words, development needs to be 24-7, always on, you know, real time, not just required time. And, and it needs to be spread out across the organization. One person in HR can't do all leadership development and put on all the classes and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's what our approach really helps leaders do because we're teaching them basically how to interact 
with their employees. So it's kind of a new way to have conversations. And you know, as well as I do, if you want to improve your culture, you got to improve relationships and conversations. So that's what we focus on. Yeah, you you can tell when you hear, um, well, let's send them to a conference. Uh, let's let's find something they that would be good to send them to, right? That's that's what you mean by event, right? Or or let's have a training day, uh, yeah. uh, right. not rather than most development works best as a process, not an event, right? Well, yeah, and and you're aware of the seventy twenty ten rule, um, and which basically says that ninety percent of the learning that takes place is in real time on the work floor, on the job, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, and we've known that for a long time, if that's the case, then we need to develop models that actually enable managers and people leaders to, to actually do that. So every conversation becomes a, an opportunity for developing a new leader. You mentioned uh, a phrase I wanted to ask you about next generation leaders. How do you, um, Tell me about that category. How do you define that next generation leader? Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're mainly talking about millennials and iGen and then the generation that's coming in after them. So, mm. you know, the, the 16 and 17 year olds, they're kind of, you know, the, the newest generation coming in. Um, and then we've got some, uh, you know, college students, maybe or early college graduates in their early 20s or whatever. But then we have a whole host of millennials. Right. So between millennials and the, those generations that are coming in after them, you know, you're looking at probably 40 percent, if not more, of the workforce. And and, you know, research says Gallup says that within, you know, five or 10 years, um, you know, half of the workforce is going to be millennials. But we're working with companies where that's already true. Mm -hmm. Half of their employees are millennials. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about in terms of next generation leaders. Don't, don't you think, though, and I've kind of believed this for a while, don't you think that every generation kind of looks at the next generation or two as, uh, I wouldn't say less than, but maybe they don't have the work ethic, they don't have this and they don't have that? Yeah. And that's that's a psychological fact that we have the most disdain from the uh, place that we just came from, right? right so yes. if you're a 16 year old and all of a sudden you're 18, you're like, man, it really sucks to be a 16 year old. Yeah. Well, I worked for my grandfather growing up, and he used to say that about me and my peers. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, this generation today, they don't have any work ethic, and they don't, yeah. you know, they don't care about the business like we did, and all of yeah. that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing I hear now people <laughs> saying about two generations back oh it's true yeah so i know the name of your company uh has the conversation you know thing in it and all of that and i know that's part of the process for building the culture driving engagement reducing turnover and developing leaders tell me a little bit what's a great conversation how do you define that well, I think you and I both have experienced good conversations and bad conversations. So a bad conversation is when the other person isn't listening to you, <laughs> when the other person is just waiting to jump in and tell a bigger story than you just told, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Um, when they're looking at their watch, when they're distracted, um, and, and they really don't care what you're saying. Uh, 
So that's a bad conversation. So if you take the opposite of all those things, a really good conversation is when you feel like another person is deeply listening to you or they're asking you really good open-ended questions like what you just asked. That was, that was just a great question. And it, and it just makes for a, a, a better kind of conversation, I think. So listening well, asking good questions, I think honoring people as as people, you know, and that everyone has worth. And I think for managers, a lot of times, they don't know really who they've got on their floor. And they need to treat all of them like that person is going to be the next CEO, right? So, so I think that that is kind of the, the core of, of the kind of conversational skills that we teach. Um, good open-ended questioning skills, uh, you know, reflective listening skills, um, and we teach managers how to give positive and corrective feedback in kind of a different way. So I think all of that makes better conversations. And if you have better conversations, you've got better relationships and then you've got a better culture. Yeah, I used to teach here for about almost 10 years. I taught a class here for the local chamber. And every year I would get 30 of the high potential leaders from all the business in the community. And I would teach them for six months every other week and the highest rated class from that younger generation of leaders was always how to actively listen yeah uh, because for the most part we're not very good at it and no one ever teaches you that because it's another one of those duh things like well i know how to listen yeah so you know i you know i've been through college and got a master's degree and been through all sorts of personal development, leadership development seminars, not once did I have a class or specific course in how to do good, active, reflective listening. <laughs> right. And now I look at that and I go, what in the world are we doing? Every college should be teaching this, right? That's exactly right. Tell me a little bit about the difference. Um, how do you teach your clients uh, how to do feedback in a better way? Well, um, yeah, I'll give you an example. We were doing a training with a transportation company here in the area. We're in West Michigan. Um, they have 53 terminals across the United States. Uh, so they've got about 60 some terminal managers and they were experiencing 60% turnover with their terminal managers. Okay, so stop and do the math on that. It's like, wow, how, how can you keep doing that? Mm. Um, so we came in with our conversational management uh, program. And as we started teaching them these skills and then got to the feedback model, they realized that the way they've been doing feedback is, is really kind of top down. It's most of the time it leads to the other person kind of digging in their heels. So we turned the model kind of upside down and we said, number one, you need to be giving about six or seven times more positive feedback than, than corrective feedback. So if you just start there, you're going to be off to a good start. But if you don't start there, it really doesn't matter what you do. 
right? But the corrective feedback part is where you're asking them questions and you're helping them to take ownership and responsibility and actually come up with the solution. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a different model than I was ever taught. Right. And I, I don't know if anybody else is teaching that model. I'm, I'm sure they are. But we've found that that works the best. In fact, when we were teaching this to this company, the mainly truck drivers, um, afterward, I just said, so, you know, what do you guys think? I mean, you guys have, you know, uh, frontline supervisors and truck drivers that you're managing every day. What does this feel like? And they just said, well, I wish we'd have been taught this 30 years ago. And they said, you know, who really needs this is the union. Mm-hmm. Would you would you come and train our union? And I said, sure, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's just a it's a different model, and it's based on asking and listening and helping the other person to take full responsibility. I know this seems like a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm just kind of curious. But in your model that you're teaching, who takes the lead? Whose meeting is it? Well, I think the manager has to take the ownership there. The, the manager is the one that at the end of the day, he or she is the one responsible. So they're the ones that need to initiate this and teach this, not the employee. Yeah. Okay. But when I'm the employee coming to the meeting, how do I then take ownership of the meeting also? Well, I think if if I as a manager um, am able to, you know, for us to agree at the outset, um, so Jerry, here's what I heard happened, this, this, and this. So does that, is that accurate and get agreement there? He says, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's what happened. Um, so as you think about that, what do you think led up to that? What, what was going on there? Right. And then what do you think was the cause of that? Let me stop right? you there for a second. So the key thing you're not doing in that conversation is, you aren't looking at the employee going, why did this happen? Yeah. It, right? Well, yeah, because, and that's one of our other rules. I call it the you idiot rule. Yes. I said, if, if you can put the words you idiot after any why question you ask, then you need to re-ask the question. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the first thing that struck me. And that's something I try to teach my clients is yeah. don't put them on the spot like that. And, you know, Ask them to tell you what happened, just what you did. I mean, and I heard a loud voice in my head as soon as I asked the question, how does the employee take ownership? A loud voice in my head said, well, it's working, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, if it's working for the employee, of course they're going to buy into it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think employees would love it if managers would start um, treating them that way, because our research has shown that most managers don't give feedback. And when they do, it's negative and it's not received well, and it just makes the employee more disengaged. Right. So a large company here in our area came to us uh, several years ago and they said, hey, We've taken your coaching training and conversational management, but could you guys develop a model for giving positive and corrective feedback? Because our managers just don't know how to do that. So that's when we developed our program, and it was because a client was asking for it, and um, and it's 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 really working out well. It's it's a different model than what you and I as baby boomers grew up with. Oh right? sure. It's like Tim, you screwed up. Don't do that again, or you're in trouble. You know? <laughs> and yeah, and I just want to tell you, if you're sitting and listening to Tim and I, 
and you're an executive or you're a business owner, there is no, no, no shame in saying, wow, I really don't know too much. I'm probably not doing this right. I need to do it different. That is a sign of intelligence. You know, that is, sure. an, that is a sign of someone who really wants to be, uh, you know, as I, as I told one of my clients, uh, we walked in the first day we met to talk about possibly working together. And we go down this long hallway and there's a picture of every CEO that's ever been at the company, you know, and, uh, I said, can we go back out in the hall for a second? He goes, yeah. So we went back out in the hall. I said, let's start with the first guy. Can you tell me a little bit about this guy? And he went down the road and told every story about every one of the people whose pictures was on the wall. And I said, now, what do you want them to say about you when your picture goes up? There you go. Right. And And if you want that legacy and I most CEOs I've worked with and most of the ones I met they start thinking about that at some point right yeah and so right. I, that's why I think this stuff is so so important yeah and if you relate that to um, developing next generation leaders um, Millennials and iGen uh, long for they want corrective feedback, <laughs> but they're not getting it. So 70% of them say, I'm not getting enough from my manager, right? And managers right. go, what? But it's true. And so if managers can learn how to do this on a regular daily kind of weekly rhythm rather than, you know, quarterly at the review time, um, you know, that's how you're going to keep your next generation leaders. Well, Tim, uh, I'm going to run through some closing questions here for you. We ask every guest that comes on the show these 12 rapid-fire questions, and so would it be all right if I put you through these? Yes, sure. All right, here's the first one. What is the best memory that immediately comes to mind? Uh, Going squirrel hunting with my dad. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Who's the number one hero in your life? My dad. What's your dad's name? George. George. What did George do? Uh, he was a pastor, actually. Oh, very nice. What is the top value you subscribe to? Um, I think uh, authenticity. Who is the most important person in your life? Uh, her name is Diane. What is your favorite thing in the whole world? Oh, my favorite thing. I don't know. This might not qualify, but I, I play racquetball. So I, you know, I love racquetball. Okay, good. What's your favorite food? Uh, chocolate. <laughs> Most beautiful place you've ever been to? Uh, San Juan Islands off of Seattle. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Flourish. Speaking of legacy, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, I think as somebody that loved people, cared about people. If you could go back and talk to a young Tim, what would your advice be for him? It's going to be okay, Tim. Don't worry. What's your favorite sound? I like the sound of my grandchildren walking into my house saying, hey, Grandpa. That's great. I was I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, "Do you have any children?" I said, "No, I I get to do the parenting thing vicariously through my brother, uh, so I have a, a nephew and a niece, but then I get to just leave them at his house." Right? <laughs> but Uncle Tony's the coolest dude ever. 
I bet. Tim Cosby, we've been visiting with him. He's the president and CEO of Real Retention. And uh, Tim, how do people find out more about you? I'm sure after this conversation, they're going to want to talk to you. Well, I think you guys are going to provide a kind of a link to our welcome page. Um, sure our our website is realretention.com. And, uh, you know, you can contact us on there, get phone numbers. Um, and we'd love we'd love to we'd love to meet up with you. Actually, let me just tell you about one thing that we're we're doing recently that I'm really excited about. Absolutely. We do, you know, conversational management is uh, it's about a total of 15 hours uh, over the period of a month. And so we do it in 90 minute modules. So we have, you know, different modules in the, in the program. But what we found is that leaders need to experience our training. They need to experience it and how we do it. So we're de we've developed a test drive. It's called a test drive. It's a, usually a Friday morning from eight to noon. And uh, we basically take you through one of our modules and help you to experience the paradigm shift that we found that most leaders experience when they move from telling to asking and talking to listening, right? It's a right. big paradigm shift. And once they make that shift, then they go, oh, I thought I was coaching before, but now I realize I was just telling people what to do. <laughs> I was just telling. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So they can find that at your website then? Yeah, you bet. Okay, good. Well, Tim, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing. You're helping a lot of people. Thanks, Tony. And it's a privilege to, to be on here, meet you today, and talk to you and, and your listeners. You bet. Tim Cosby, Real Retention and Conversational Management. I will have a leadership and business lesson coming up next on Better Than Before. Because adventure still needs chasing. We gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love. It's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today, and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards. And one of the ways we can quickly identify the quality of the employees in our client companies is by ranking them in categories of A, B, C, and D players. Now, this framework was originally conceived by Dr. Brad Smart with his top grading methodology. Jack Welch, famous uh, late CEO of General Electric, also made some of this popular with his 20-70-10 approach as far as ranking people throughout General Electric during his tenure there. 
So let me give you the quick definitions of A, B, C, and D players. And this is a culture rank, right? And also a performance rank. So A players are great for the culture. They follow the core values. They, you know, get along with people. And they get great results on the accountabilities and KPIs that they have for their job. B players are great for the culture. They follow the core values, but they need coaching or skill development on results for their accountabilities and KPIs. So Bs are great in the culture, but their results need work, right? C players or C employees are bad for the culture, but they get results on their accountabilities and their KPIs. And they raise hell doing it. You know, they create hell throughout the whole organization. Sometimes people don't really particularly care for them, but you put up with their behavior because they get results. They hit their goals. They do whatever they need to do to make their, you know, make their bones every, every month. But they're just terrors as far as the culture is concerned. And D employees are bad for the culture and they do not get results on their accountabilities and KPIs. So you might say, well, gee, it seems like D employees ought to be released right away. Well, you say that, you might be surprised at how many D employees people keep around for whatever reason. The most common of which is they've been here for a long time. They play hell with the culture and they don't get results, but they've been here 20 years, which means that previous people who those D employee people reported to kicked the can down the road for you to deal with. So now here you are with this D employee and you're the one is either going to have to do one of two things. You're either going to have to deal with the situation or you're going to have to kick the can down the road and put the next person through the same kind of crap that you're going through, right? So hopefully your A employees are probably going to fall in your upper 20% of the employees who do well in your organization. There's probably some B's and C's in there also, although not in large representation. And the idea is that C and D employees are more than likely killing the organizational culture every single day because the A and B players do not, I repeat, do not like working with them. A employees want to work with other A employees. B employees want to work with A employees because they want to get better. C players don't care who leaves as long as it's not them. And D's are just hoping that they can make it another six months to a year and they just keep on the train. So the C employees are getting away with their behavior because they produce results. You put up with their attitudes and bad days because they're producing some desirable result for the team. And more than likely, you haven't recruited and you don't have anybody lined up who can replace them or you don't have anyone in the organization who has a clue on how to do what they come in and do for your company every day. And either way, both are leadership and manager sins which are being committed every single day by you. The fact that you have C and D employees is your fault. Now, you may go home every night and tell your husband or your wife that you wish you didn't have to put up with them one more second and how uh, they really played the devil with your day today. But at some point, you're going to have to look in the mirror and realize that the fact that you're tolerating this is creating the environment you say you don't want, but yet you aren't doing anything about it. So here are three behaviors that are seen most frequently in C and D type employees where they, they try to control you. 
Number one, they continually ask questions, but do nothing constructive or positive with the answers you give them. Now, have you had this happen? I'm sure you have because it's a power holding tactic that's used by C or D employees to challenge your knowledge and expertise. They don't plan on doing anything with the answer you gave them. They're simply trying to plant the seeds of doubt in others on the team to question your authority and your expertise. Now, you can solve this issue by coaching back on this continuously to hold them accountable on follow-up and follow-through pertaining to what they did with the information or directions you just gave. Worst thing you can do is keep playing this game over and over when they keep asking you questions and you're batting balls. Number two, they will use this phrase. I'm not sure about that. I'm just not sure about this. I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'm not sure about this. That is a surefire tactic to control or delay agreement and alignment. This, this one's easy, folks. Think about it. The obvious next step when you're not sure about something is to clarify. Find out the answer or withhold your comment. What do you think the comment was intended to achieve? It's intended to achieve delay and disruption. Number three, they often will defend or provoke action or discussion on issues which have very little importance or relevance to the core issues. Now, this is a total distraction move designed to frustrate you or get you off track from the real core issues that you need to be talking about. This happens a lot of times when you try to discuss core issues. For C employees, it's a discussion around their attitude or behavior. For D employees, it's a discussion around both attitude, behavior, and performance. C and D employees will do anything to get as far away from the actualities of their performance, whatever it might be. They are going to do everything they can to make sure that the ownership of their results uh, or their behavior, in C players it would be behavior, in D employees it would be behavior and results, they're going to do everything they can not to own that, to get away from it as much as they can and as far away as they can. And number four, they will often flip the script or use a boomerang on you. If you don't know what a boomerang is, allow me to demonstrate. C employees will attempt to flip the script on their behavior by reversing the focus on behavior to their results. So flipping the script is, hey, you were really a jerk to so-and-so in this other department you need to be working with to carry out what the plan is. Yeah, but did you see how big my order was? Yeah, but did you see how I brought the order in? Yeah, but and, and they're always going to flip the script to what they did behavior-wise to what result they brought because that's their strong suit, as if it's an either-or, right? They want to point to what they produced, right? And they want to get away from how they produced it and just focus on the end result. Now, both C and D employees are both very often going to boomerang you on bringing up something you did wrong or a result you may not have produced. They're both going to attempt to flip the script by bringing up others on the team and their deficiencies. Don't go for the flip or be blindsided by the boomerang. Stop it down and bring it back home. So if you say something about their behavior, well, you just weren't very nice in the meeting the other day. That's a boomerang. When you try to talk to them about theirs, they're going to flip it back on yours. They're going to take that boomerang. They're going to catch it and flip it back at you. Or if you try to talk to them about their results, well, I'm not sure that anybody did very well last quarter. They're going to dilute it. 
right? So look for these and other tactics when you are attempting to coach the C and D employees. If you're spending too much time on your C employees, you're not only you not only deserve the results they produce, but everything else that goes with it. Your D employees should not even be a question in your mind about what to do next with them. Remember, no results, bad for the culture. Every day you continue to accept the C and D behavior is raising the risk that you'll be losing your awesome A's and B's who are simply going to grow tired of your all-the-time acceptance and approval of their behaviors and their results. A employees want to play with A's. That's why there's these superpower teams in professional sports now. LeBron James wants to play with Anthony Davis, and Stephen Curry wants to play with Kevin Durant. A employees want to be with other A's, and B's, if they're true B's and their attitude is right, they want to be with A's. And nobody enjoys working with a C or a D, right? So that's your responsibility, and quite frankly, your fault. That's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. This is Tony Richards. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for subscribing. Listen, do me a favor. Recommend our podcast to somebody that you think would be interested in it. Send them a send them an email and a link or a recommendation or whatever to subscribe through Apple Podcasts or any place where you subscribe to podcasts. We're available worldwide. On behalf of associate producer Whitney Coker and chief producer William Foster, I'm Tony Richards here with you every single week to remind you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.